talk to your kids and listen to them about their play, about their gameplay. Let them tell you about it because if they do talk about their gameplay, what they're going to reveal to you and what will become more evident to them is that they are problem solving all the time. Welcome to the Parenting ADHD Podcast, where I share insights and strategies on raising kids with ADHD straight from the trenches. I'm your host, Penny Williams. I'm a parenting coach, author, ADHD-aholic, and mindset mama, honored to guide you on the journey of raising your atypical kid. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. Today, I am talking to Randy Coleman, who has been on the podcast before, and I'm a huge fan of Randy's work and Learning Works for Kids. And we're going to talk about innovative ways to improve executive functions, especially play and digital play. I'm really excited to bring this conversation to all of you who are listening because I think it's really, really important to understand the benefits of digital play as well. Thanks so much for being here, Randy. Will you start just by introducing yourself? Let everybody know who you are and what you do. Sure, Penny. And thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I have so much fun talking to you. Listeners won't ever get to hear our conversations before, (laughs) but I really enjoy having those as well. And hopefully we can have some more of those. So yeah, I'm a a child clinical psychologist, been doing this for a long time, (laughs) working with kids with ADHD, autism spectrum disorders. And I would say the thing that is striking for me is that I was trained by a professor at the University of Rochester, David Elkind, who was an expert in play. And when, when I started working with kids in the late 1990s, uh, early 90s as well, they loved playing with video games. And I began to notice that. And, and in fact, one of the things that would happen is parents would bring these kids into my office and they'd say, we were referred by the school for my kid because they have ADHD, but I know they can't have ADHD because they love playing video games. They can spend all day mm-hmm. paying attention to video games. And I said, hmm. What's that about? And started to learn a little bit about that because I had always, like I said, been interested in play. I actually wrote my master's thesis about play. Long story short, we thought about creating games for kids with ADHD that might be helpful for them. And eventually we sort of settled on this idea that, you know, kids learn from their play. Why don't they learn from their digital play? Why don't they learn from their play with video games? And I realized, well, of course they do. Yeah. Long story even shorter, if you will, is we began to look at that and I began interviewing kids and recognized that when kids played popular video games, the good games, the complex games that had multi-levels and layers of of work, is that they were using a variety of these executive functioning skills. Almost every great game required kids to do planning, time management, they need to organize stuff, they need to get started on stuff, they need to be persistent, they need to use these executive functioning skills. So that's sort of how I got interested in this. I had always been interested in ADHD and executive functions, but I realized that I could kind of combine those two. Yeah, and I love it because you're meeting kids where they are and speaking their language, which is a great way to reach kids to help them to learn skills. Can we start with just a super brief overview of what executive functioning is for anybody who's listening who doesn't know that terminology yet? Okay, absolutely. So the first thing I want to say is, If you get a hundred psychologists, social workers, psychiatrists in a room and ask them to tell you what executive function is, you'd likely get about a hundred different definitions. (laughs) Yeah. So starting with that, 
here's mine, okay? And as, when I say mine, the one that I've kind of grabbed over the course of many years in reading and working on this is, I think about them as sort of brain-based cognitive skills that help people to manage and to direct their behaviors, managing their emotions as well, so they can get things done. So they're the skills you need to get things done. Yeah. And the older version of thinking about executive functions, what they were all, they were all really biologically brain-based. They were static. You couldn't improve them. Nowadays, because of our understanding of neuroplasticity and how we can change brains, we really think about them as skills. The model that I use and the model that I find to be really great for kids with ADHD and autism spectrum disorders is a model that was developed primarily by Peg Dawson and Richard Gere, where they describe 11 different executive functioning skills. In our work at Learning Works for Kids, we added a 12th one around social skills. But if you want, I can kind of give you a list of those. Would that be helpful? Yeah, Penny? yeah, I think so. So parents can understand what maybe behaviors they're seeing that are actually related to lagging executive functioning. Yeah, so the way that Dawson and Gear developed is they talked about there being 11 different skills. One is task initiation, getting started on stuff. A second one is sustained attention, being able to sustain your attention to tasks. A third is task persistence, kind of sticking to it, stick mm-hmm. to it, if, this, if you will. Yep. A next one is one that's common to almost all the definitions of executive function, response inhibition, inhibitory control, being able to stop yourself. Another one that's really interesting that we're now thinking about much more with kids with ADHD and certainly with spectrum disorders is affective regulation, regulating your emotions, controlling mm-hmm. your emotions. Time management is another skill that is important. And boy, was it important during COVID-19 when kids were at home trying to do their work. Yeah. Uh, and they couldn't. Mm-hmm. Working memory is, is a really important one, holding information in mind and being able to use that. So those kids who can't follow directions, oftentimes they're not being inattentive. Oftentimes they're not being oppositional. They can just only hold one or two things in mind for a certain amount of time. I mean, it's, yeah. it's what they can do. Mm-hmm. Another one is organization, which, uh, again, I'll go back to COVID-19. Oh, my God. Did I hear about organizational <laughs> difficulties with kids? Mm-hmm. Planning skills, flexibility, a really important one for kids on the spectrum, for sure, in terms of yes. being able to adjust, transition, change, adapt to new situations. Metacognition, being able to think about your own thoughts and kind of be reflective. And the one that we add to this is social thinking, thinking about other people, being able to think about how other people are thinking and recognizing that, paying attention to social cues. So those 12 skills are what I would define as executive functions and what makes this particular model useful from my perspective. And I think from the perspective of parents is you can target one or two of these things rather than saying, oh, we're going to improve your executive functioning skills. We're going to target this particular skill and what can we do about that skill to help them? Yeah. And that's so important, too, because you need to focus on one or two goals at a time to really make change. In my experience, you know, if you're trying to work on 12 different things at one time, you're diluting your efforts and you're not really going to make a ton of progress on any one thing. So I've always coached parents to focus on one to two things. Let's work on that get a good footing, then we can add something else. I want to kind of talk about how you are integrating gaming and digital play with learning executive functioning skills. I know so many of the games that our kids play, they involve strategy, they involve a lot of these skills, but then it seems like they struggle to translate that or to use that in their daily life. So they're learning the skill in the game, but then when they come out of the game, it seems harder for them to apply 
that skill that they've learned. Do you see that too? <laughs> Absolutely. The funny things about all this is that, you know, if kids were really learning all these skills and games, I wouldn't have any work to do in my office. Right. <laughs> I, I, you know, when I do neuropsychological evaluations of kids and while the primary diagnosis is oftentimes ADHD or learning disability, autism spectrum disorder, the underlying issues are, are many of these deficits in executive functioning skills. So if, if the kids were learning so much from these games, why do they keep coming to see me? So, mm -hmm. so they're obviously not learning that much from the games. Now, let me step back and say to you that there is some compelling evidence that certain games can improve executive function skills, but they improve them very modestly. Mm. So when they do studies of this, for example, they've studied the game StarCraft and found that it actually helps kids to become more flexible. And they studied a number of other, the action-based games. Uh, there's a couple of researchers, uh, Daphne Bavallier and Sean Green, who have done a series of studies that suggest that it can help improve sustained attention. There are you know, people who are playing different kind of video games that can learn to inhibit themselves in the video games and show some capacity to show that skill outside. But it's very modest. And, and you're right, Penny, those kids are not showing that in their day-to-day -day life. Right. So why is that? Well, so I think there's a, there's a number of reasons. I mean, I'll go back to sort of my discussion to you about around play. I've always, mm -hmm. like I said, I've always been very interested in play. I, you know, one of my mentors is, uh, you know, someone who's a world expert in play. If, if anybody wants to learn about children's play and how they learn from it, read Dr. David Elkind's work. I mean, it's, it's incredible. But kids learn from their play and they do learn from their digital play. But I think in the past, what happened is, is that kids play oftentimes would lead to kind of practicing certain roles. So kids would play house or school or cops and robbers, and they would take on roles and learn that. They would follow their parents around and do things like that. They, or their parents would be engaged with their play as well. So they would, you know, kid comes home from a baseball game and they lose the game and they're frustrated and the parent uses that as a teaching opportunity. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that one of the things that's happened with video games is that parents are not very involved with that. So they don't use the children's gameplay to kind of help them to take what they learned in the game and apply it outside of the real world. The other part to it is it's very simple. It's like the ability to sort of transfer what you've learned from one place to another is in some ways based upon a series of steps. So what we call near transfer. So, for example, taking your tennis lesson where you're practicing your forehand to being able to go and hit rallies where you move around a little bit with your forehand is a close transfer. You're kind of staying in one place at one point and now you're moving a step. Right. You can do that more readily. Applying it in a game necessarily where you're hustling all over the place and you're having to hit it with from spin or other things, it's a little bit harder. The further away it is, the more difficult it is. And that's one of the things that we see in these with looking at games and learning executive functioning skills. I mean, that process, the broader process is what we call generalization. How do you take what you've learned in place A and apply it effectively in place B? Not an easy thing. In fact, I would argue with you that the process of generalization from school to the real world is oftentimes not, not particularly good. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people who are hiring kids who are graduated from college and they say they're coming here, but they don't have any job skills. Yep. They don't necessarily apply what they've learned in their education to the real world. They have to actually go do it. Yeah. Well, so that's where the problem is. It's like, how do you make that happen? Yeah. And that's what you're doing, right? You're helping kids to take their gameplay and apply it as executive functioning skills in their day-to-day, -day, right? Exactly. I mean, let me tell you how we started doing this. And we yeah. realized that this was not terribly effective. 
What we initially did at Learning Works for Kids is we said, okay, let's take a look at these games. And when we started, we were mostly working on console games because back when we started around 2000, you know, the, the kinds of games that were out there were the games on the Nintendo or the PlayStation. Mm-hmm. And eventually the Xbox came around. And now, of course, every game is on all kinds of platforms and kids are playing them on their phones and all that kind of stuff. So there's so much more variation with that. Yeah. But what we began to do initially is we would identify games that were really useful in terms of the way that they practiced executive function skills. If you're going to be successful in this game, you needed to be able to use an executive functioning skill in those games. And then what we would do is we'd write up these extensive descriptions of the games and then give parents and teachers particular talking points and strategies around things that they could talk to the kids about that were occurring in the game. And then we gave them what we called make it real ideas, which were basically to say, all right, so now you've talked about this part, you've got the kids to think about it. Now here are some activities you could do. Well, what we found out pretty quickly was that parents were very interested in what we were talking about, but not very interested in doing what we were suggesting. Right. So it didn't really help the kids very much. I mean, it made the parents think, oh, you know what? Maybe these games are not so bad for my kids. And, and even on the simplest level, if you listeners get one thing from for this podcast, this is not going to necessarily be about executive functions. But if they get one thing from this, I would tell them, talk to your kids and listen to them about their play, mm-hmm. about their gameplay. Let them tell you about it. Because if they do talk about their gameplay, what they're going to reveal to you and what will become more evident to them is that they are problem solving all the time. And part of the process of kind of making that transfer, as you're saying, is to think about it and to then move it someplace. At Learning for Kids, we have a simple little ditty that we talk about. We call it detect, reflect, connect. First, you've got to be able to identify the skill or detect the skill. Mm-hmm. Then you need to be able to reflect or think about it. This is the process of metacognition that we've identified as an executive function. And we want the kids to think about it in two ways. Think about how did this particular skill help you in the game and how might it help you in the real world? And then the connect piece is helping the kids to, to recognize and then practice that skill in the real world. So when kids take our classes, we don't just get them to kind of play the game, think about the skill, and learn how they use skill in the game. We give them assignments that are usually fun and relate very much to what they're doing, where they have to actually do it and then demonstrate that they do that. Especially in our new self-guided classes, they have to take a picture of that. They earn what we call brain bucks, or they earn rewards for doing this. So, mm-hmm. so they actually have to practice. So we actually help them make that connection by taking those three steps. Yeah, Can you provide maybe a general example of what that might look like? Maybe a specific game? Sure, sure, sure. Absolutely. So two of our favorite games that we're using right now are the games that I, and and like I said, we use the popular games. And the reason games are popular, by the way, is not that they're easy. Okay. The the games that are popular are games that are intriguing to kids, that are challenging to them, that, that really require cognitive skills. So it makes them think. I mean, kids, you know, oftentimes even people think about a game like Fortnite. It's all about just shooting. Okay. Well, and by the way, I don't like Fortnite for younger kids. So when parents come in and tell me they've got a six year old playing Fortnite, I roll my eyes and I go, and sometimes (laughs) I'll say something, sometimes I won't, depending upon how I'm feeling, because I don't want to tell people how to parent their kids. But I usually do say, you know what? That's probably not the best game for a six year old. all those games, you know, even game like Fortnite really requires them to do this. So let's take a game like Minecraft. So in Minecraft, Minecraft, Roblox, 
fantastic games. When kids play Minecraft, they need to organize stuff. So, for example, if they want to build a shelter so that they can protect themselves from the Endermen and all the bad guys that are going to kind of attack them at night, they've got to organize stuff. They've got to collect certain kinds of materials. They've got to put it together, and then they've got to use some planning skills. And so what we get the kids to do, in fact, when they play with us on some of our, we make our own Minecraft maps. They actually walk through something that tells them that they uh, detect, reflect, connect steps, and we kind of give them some ideas about what they're doing there. But so they need to actually do that in the game. We get them to talk about that in our live classes or in our self-guided classes. What they end up doing is they end up kind of having to answer some quiz questions that make them think about those skills, that kind of detect piece. And then we give them an activity that's related to that. So let's say, you know, organize your backpack and take a picture of that so we can see how you did that. You put all the materials you needed to get to school, just like you put all the materials you needed to build your Mm. structure. How do you do that? So we're just trying to get them to think about that stuff. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I mean, listen, I would love to tell you that that's all we got to do and the kids are going to have wonderful executive functioning <laughs> right. skills, but that's not the case. Yeah. You know, the real case is that parents need to be involved, teachers need mm-hmm. to be involved, and these kids need lots of practice. Most of the kids that you work with in your work with parents and the kids that I see, there's not something that you just do once and they learn it. It's repetition, it's practice. And by the way, one of the ways that we learn to generalize is we learn to do many similar kinds of things repeatedly. So back to my tennis example, if you will, is, you know, that if you can kind of learn to hit your forehand from different spots in the court, if then if you can learn to hit it to different places, if you can learn to hit topspin and backspin, I mean, can you learn all those things? And the more you do, the better you get. So it's like you're building smaller skills, or I almost, I almost want to call them sub-skills and practicing them in different situations. And that's sort of, you know, how things work best. Mm-hmm. And that's even true, actually, when they've done some interesting studies. They've done some studies around uh, playing s- shorter, casual video games with kids to see can they improve executive function skills. And they find the answer is yes. What they find is that they give them a bunch of different similar games using the same skill. They actually learn a little bit more. Mm. So it's that repetition that plays a role here, too. If you have a neurodivergent child struggling to focus on daily to-dos and routines, check out June. June, spelled J-O-O-N, is an app aimed at helping kids with ADHD develop their executive functioning and ability to focus. With June, your children play an engaging video game and are motivated to do assigned and approved daily tasks and routines in real life in order to level up. With a near five-star rating on the App Store and recommendations from top child therapists and parenting experts, June is something worth checking out if you have a neurodivergent child. If you think June can help your family, go to juneapp.io slash parenting ADHD. That's June spelled J-O-O-N app.io slash parenting ADHD to learn more. Sign up and try June for free today. I'm just trying to think about, you know, how else gameplay is is really beneficial to kids. What else are they getting from that digital play? And maybe are there other ways that they can do digital play that isn't necessarily a video game? Absolutely. Yeah. I think you're you're asking some fantastic questions around this. So I would say one of the things that that is really fantastic about gameplay for kids is 
kids do not play video games. I shouldn't say uh, making this as an absolute statement. This old vision that many people have of kids playing video games, sitting in a dark room, facing a computer, playing by themselves, is probably accounts for 5 or 10% of kids. Mm-hmm. Most kids are playing social games. They are involved with their friends. Yeah. Now, sometimes they're involved with their friends who are living in Norway yep. as opposed to living around the corner. Yep. But there's wonderful social opportunities, particularly for kids you know, who might be socially anxious. Then one of the great ways to use games is to use games to play with the kids' friends in school to kind of help them facilitate that happening to kind of do that. They're talking to their friends. Because guess what? When they come to school the next day, guess what they're going to do? They're going to talk about mm-hmm. their gameplay with their friends. Well, if that's what they're interested, great. But they're talking to their friends. They're doing stuff with their friends. So that social piece is incredibly powerful and useful. Now, there's a whole other aspect to this that can be, I think, really fantastic for, for some of the kids on the spectrum and some of the kids with ADHD, which is that this also can lead to a real interest in practice with technology. Yeah. So I'm going to brag about you for a no. minute, Penny. Penny and I were talking earlier about how she developed all this work that she's done on her website by herself and learned how to do all this stuff with WordPress. And just, I mean, you really became an expert on that. Well, mm-hmm. many of these kids, I mean, I sometimes think that we live in the world of Asperger's where because of this so much technology and so much work that's going on. So there's a, this whole aspect around learning how to use technology when you play games like Roblox, where you can create your own games, Minecraft, you can do all kinds of coding and things like that. Again, a wonderful opportunity to kind of take game-based play and make it into real-world skills and useful skills. Now, at some point, I think you'll ask me, you're going to ask me a question about the negatives. And there's plenty of those, too. Yeah. So I don't wanna, I'll get to those when you ask. Yeah. <laughs> so two things came up for me. One is that there's a whole huge gaming industry now. There are lots of jobs and careers for kids who are interested in that. So, you know, don't think that gaming is just a total waste of time. It can lead to an interest in a job and a career and, you know, a successful adulthood. So that's one thing that I would throw out there because my kids, when they were younger, talked about that a lot. And I would kind of roll my eyes like and and granted, this was 10, 12 years ago. So it was a different time with gaming and stuff. But still, And then as they got older, I realized like there are degrees in these things. There are lots of opportunities in the gaming industry and that's a really valid interest as a career. The other thing was the social aspect that you were talking about. My own son has always said when I'm gaming, that's when I can interact with people and be myself and people accept me. He feels like he fits in that world where he doesn't always feel like he fits in what we would call the real world, right? In person, at school, et cetera. And he really learned a lot of social skills by playing those games. And yes, we had to be careful about him being online with people we didn't know. Sometimes he was online with all those in-person friends from school. And what happened to him like in elementary school, middle school, was that he would go and he would be the expert and kids would ask him questions about the games and it would make him feel really good about himself, right? It would build his confidence and his self-esteem where he really needed that. He was really struggling with that. And so we saw a lot of benefit in those areas as well. 
not just necessarily an executive functioning, but he was definitely practicing problem solving. And I was always, he would tell me about what he's doing in these games. I'm like, wow, he's really on top of things in the game. And how do we sort of make that happen in real world skills, you know, which, as you said, is a lot harder. But we did see a lot of benefit, especially socially. And, you know, it would have been really easy as a parent to sort of stay in that fear of he's gaming a lot or he's online with people that we don't necessarily know. But I had to be more open and say, okay, but here's also the benefit that he's getting. I had to really listen to him rather than dismiss what he was telling me. And I think that's really, really important. We have to keep an open mind around gaming. And yes, there are some negatives. And if you would like to talk about those briefly, I'm happy for you to do that (laughs) as well. I think, you know, it is important that we as parents are aware of both the positives and the negatives. I want to expand upon one of the things you said, though. Yeah, that was yeah. really interesting. I'm glad you brought this up because I neglected to do this, but I've written about this extensively. I have a Psychology Today blog, and one of the most popular ones I've written was How to Get Your Kid to Be a Professional Gamer. Hmm. And it's got 10,000 or 20,000 hits. It's been very popular. Yeah. Most kids who love gaming, who say they want to be like nowadays, they want to be a pro gamer. Right. Like the guys who win the Fortnite contest. I'm blocking on the kid's name. The 16 year old won like $3 million. Most of those kids are not going to be able to do that. In fact, right now, I would say the chances of them doing that, well, they're less than being able to be a professional football player. Mm -hmm. However, just like most kids who play high school football will never be a professional football player, some of those kids may end up in this field, the sports industry. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what is an even faster growing sports industry? It's the video game sports industry. I mean, esports is incredibly huge. And the vast majority of jobs there are going to be like in running a professional club. They're going to be management jobs. They're going to be media jobs. They're going to be health-related jobs. I mean, there's so many jobs. If you think about any college or professional basketball or football team, they have all these other people who work there. Guess what? Kids who love gaming are going to have all these opportunities because that's going to be one of the ways for them to... I mean, we're talking about thousands, if not millions of jobs that are opening up. Actually, the data suggests that sometime in 2022, there's going to be more spectators for esports in the world than there are for other kinds of sports. Wow. How crazy is that? Yeah. Okay. So, so all those jobs there are incredible. And by the way, over 200 colleges now have esports teams. So there's an organization called NACE, N-A-C-E, uh, so if a kid who wants to go to college, you know, and you're trying to drive this kid towards college and they're thinking about it and they know, hey, one of the reasons to get into this college and work hard is because you can get onto one of the esports teams. You can look this organization up and it's just growing and growing and growing. I had no idea. It's remarkable. Crazy. It is just remarkable. Now, on the other hand, you can really overdo it. Games and technologies in general are addictive. Okay. We, we already know that Kids and adults with ADHD, autism spectrum disorders, are more prone towards substance abuse and addiction kinds of issues. That's the nature of the disorders, and that can be highly problematic. So we really need to pay more attention to these kids than others. Now, part of that and part of what I think is really important to recognize is that it's not just in the kids. It's in the technology. Mm -hmm. I just finished a new book. It came out about a year ago. It's a book for teenagers called Gaming Overload Workbook. It's on Amazon. If anybody wants to find it, they can find it under my name, Coleman, K-U-L-M-A-N. But 
what I write about in that book is I write to teenagers saying to them, hey, you know what? Gaming is great. You know, doing all this stuff is fantastic. You can learn some executive skills. You can socialize with your friends. You can learn some problem solving stuff. You can do all kinds of stuff. But recognize when too much is too much. And one of the reasons that too much is too much is because the companies out there have made it so that you can't let go of the stuff. Yeah. And, and teenagers know this. About 55% of teenagers will say, I spend too much time on my phone. They actually acknowledge that. Yeah. There's a guy by the name of Adam Alter who wrote this great book called Irresistible. And he identifies these different characteristics of technology. For example, there are no ending points. So think about when you watch Netflix and you're watching a show. And then it used to be, I think, 10 or 15 seconds. Now it's five seconds later, I believe, that the next one is reeling up there for yep. you and you're, and you're ready to watch it. You know, many things have what we call variable reinforcement. So if you're on social media and you post something, you don't always get a response and you don't always get it immediately. And so you keep looking and you keep coming back to it because you're waiting to see if anybody's responding. Do they like it? Those kinds of things. So there's those components. I mean, the multimedia piece of it is incredibly powerful. So what's happened is that Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Facebook, they're all way smarter than the rest of us. They know how to keep you on their screens because that's how they make their money. And I think that when we can talk to kids about that, sometimes kids actually kind of say, yeah, I don't like it when someone's subtly controlling me like that. I, I yeah. actually, it hits with teenagers. Teenagers will hear that from you. Younger kids may not quite understand that. And for me, the solution to this is to start as early as you can with what I call a healthy play diet. How do we teach kids again, I'm interested in play, to have a healthy and balanced play diet mm -hmm. where they have lots of social play, they have lots of physical play, they have some creative play, they have some unstructured play where they're not doing anything particular, but just sort of kind of there. And then digital play. How do we find a balance for that? That's not easy because the digital play is oftentimes far more attractive and interesting. Parents need to work really hard about this. They need to model it themselves. They need to have very clear expectations. I mean, they need to show it too. I mean, they need to have other mm -hmm. things besides being on the phone. By the way, adults are on the phones as much as teenagers. Yeah. And most adults don't want to acknowledge that, but that's what the data says from Common Sense Media. It's, yeah. That's exactly what's going on. And you need to figure out ways to make that other kind of play more attractive. You've got to be willing to spend the money. You've got to be willing to spend the time. you got to go, instead of saying it's a nice day, go outside. You say, we're going for a hike today. And you, you get in the car and you you know, you know go hiking and then you go out and get some pizza and you make it a good time. And you got to invite the friends over to do those kinds of things. So yeah. you, you've got to really work hard to have a healthy, balanced play diet. If you start earlier, it's easier. If you recognize it for yourself, it's easier. But it is something that is really important. It's going to be really important for kids in terms of what we know about them. We know that kids with ADHD, for example, do so much better when they spend time outside. We know that all these kids do better when they get exercise. And we know that exercise is hugely powerful in terms of paying attention, sustained attention and focus, and really helping with a number of executive functions. Because if you want to help with your working memory skills when you're trying to do some reading and comprehend something, get on an exercise bike. Don't work too hard. But get an exercise bike and exercise, you'll actually remember more. Yeah. So all these kinds of things can be things that can be helpful. And they're also things that are not necessarily game or screen related. Mm -hmm. And what I hear really is balance. Balance is important. Yeah. And, and, but making that balance is not easy in today's world. I mean, no, it's as not. I'm speaking to you right now, I have three screens on my desk. I have, right. <laughs> you know, that's, I, I do. Okay. I have three screens on my desk. It's right? part of our world, but... Yeah. So it's really hard to 
be balanced right with how much right. time we're spending digitally but it's super super important too and i think you know when we focus on helping our kids with that balance then we're helping ourselves with that balance too <laughs> right like sometimes it's not something we would necessarily go out of our way to do for ourselves but if we have to do it for our kids now we're doing it for ourselves also so there's that extra benefit too good point very good point thank you yeah i know we can talk all day and probably for many days about electronics and gaming and kids with ADHD and we are already coming to the end of our time together. So I just want to make sure that you have shared everything that you wanted to share. Was there anything else that you wanted to make sure we talk about before we close? Hmm. Let's see. Well, I, I would say that one thing that's, I think, really important in, in today's world is that, again, I want to emphasize this point, is that parents talk to their kids about what they're doing with their technology that they ask them about that, mm -hmm. that, they, that they participate with that, that they get the kids to think about what they're doing. Because I think if they even just talk about what they're doing that's fun, they tend to be more willing to talk to you about when they're overdoing it. Uh, if they feel as if their parents are interested in what they're doing, accept what they're doing, uh, then they have a chance to, to really talk about that. Yeah. And I would say one last thing that we didn't touch it on at all, and this really could be something that would be a whole sort of separate thought about this, is, is we've been talking primarily about video games. Mm -hmm. Another way to look at this is that many of the kids who have executive functioning issues benefit from the use of different kinds of apps and productivity kinds of tools that essentially support weak skills. Yeah. So when we talk about kids who have problems with working memory, thinking about what are the tools that work best for them. When we think about kids who have problems with kind of organizing their thoughts, how can we help them to use, say, for example, a, a tool like dictation to do that kind of stuff? And that's a whole other realm that I've been working on that in my office in terms of individual recommendations to kids and families. And we're working on that in terms of some executive function coaching that we're doing. But that's something we're trying to build into our websites as well right now, because I think that's important. I do want to say to you that I have a, a free gift for people as well. Yes. So if the kids like Roblox, what we have is on our lw4k.com site. So lw4k.com. They can just search for games, but if they click on any of the Roblox games and they go to the checkout and they just use the code podcast04 and they can get one of our courses where the kids play Roblox and they kind of learn some skills while they're doing that uh, for free. Nice. So it's a way for them to kind of go there, check it out, try it out. And the, the kids are going to have fun and they're going to learn something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I always learn something from you. <laughs> Every time we talk, I enjoy it so much. And you're such a wealth of knowledge. And I love that you're meeting kids where they are and helping them through that. And it's really powerful and a little bit magical, I would say, as well. So I love the work that you're doing. I am working on now, every time we close a podcast, for our guests to give one action item for parents. What is one thing they can do after they listen to this episode that could help their kids? Well, I think I might just emphasize maybe, as I was saying before, sometimes people need repetition. Mm -hmm. And so I think I would say that one action item is to make time to ask the kids what they're doing on their screens, particularly about their games, have them explain to them what they're doing in the games. Because by the way, they'll use executive function skills to do that. They need to organize their thoughts. They need to sort of plan out what they're saying and utilize metacognitive skills to do that. Mm -hmm. So really... Ask them, what are they doing? What's it like? How'd you solve that? Ask them questions like that. I, I like to say it'll make those games a little bit more digitally nutritious. 
And it'll also give the parents an opportunity to talk to kids about something that they want to talk about. Yeah, to show interest. Yeah, and what they're interested in. I love that. Fantastic. Well, we will link up all of the resources that you've talked about, as well as a link with the code for the free gift in the show notes for this episode. And you can find those at parentingadhdandautism.com slash 169 for episode 169. And with that, I thank you again. And I will see everyone on the next episode. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining me on the Parenting ADHD podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. And don't forget to check out my online courses, parent coaching, and mama retreats at parentingadhdandautism.com.